yeah, this ain't a show for kids. And the opinions of the cowboys here, well, don't reflect the views of their posse. Anyhow, you ought to learn a lesson, because there are two kinds of dudes in this world, my friend. Those that are dude one, and those that are dude two. And I am dude two. So kick back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of Two Dudes, One Double. Was that it? Was that it? Yeah. <laughs> that was good. I like that one. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, baby. I don't know where I was going with that. Um, <laughs> welcome, everyone. <laughs> I'm just looking at your face, just looking at me like, what is he doing? I'm trying to figure out what, what's going on next. I'm trying to trying to prepare myself for the next uh, line. I might have to imp- <laughs> improvise. Yeah. <laughs> Where's the meat, damn it? Richard, Richard, you have to understand something, okay? It's meat is expensive at this time, <laughs> all right? You don't know how pricey it is. You don't do I'm the groceries. Hungry. I do. I, I do want the groceries. The meat. Give me the meat now. I go 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 to Burger King. Go to Mickey D's. See what I Give care. Give me the meat. I want meat. Allison's gonna <laughs> listen to this, and she's gonna be like. <laughs> What kind of choice have I made in my in my relationship life? Well, at least, at least it's that, but she'd still listen to the podcast, right? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Listen, as long as she still listens, I'm cool. <laughs> I, gu- I guess I guess there's uh, there's that. But anyway, on a, on a different note entirely. Um, how are you? <laughs> I I'm fine. Mostly, uh, I I I don't know. N- not much has been really going on lately. Just allergy seasons, just kick, kicking my butt. Um, you know, I feel I've been it taking, so hard. I've been taking Zyrtec, and it works. But man, it really it really knocks me out. Like it, I because because I do get allergies pretty bad. But like mm-hmm. I I it really like I take the drowsy version. So I, I'm like by the next morning I wake up later than I intend to. I'm not late for work or anything, but like mm-hmm. I'm like, oh my gosh, all this time that I lost, because that that's how my mind operates. Um I, I feel I, that. I'm so paranoid about my time. It it is it's kind of unhealthy to be honest. <laughs> like 
Like, whenever, like, because I have right now, I'm using Allegra, and it's non-drowsy, and it works fine, so I don't have to deal with allergies too much, but if I ever do get drowsy, like, like I try to get, like, one of the 24-hour brands, and then I'll take it at night, and then it'll just knock me out for the night, and then I'll wake up whenever I'm done, mm-hmm. if, I, if I ever get into that process, but I try to go for the non-drowsy, but sometimes, you know, you just got to get what you get, and if it works, it works, so, I mean, I feel your plight 100%. But aside from that, is there anything else going on? Because there is a story that I do want to talk about, but I want to see how you're doing first before we delve into that. Oh, well, I do have a a cool little thing to mention. By now, it'll already be out, but um, we have our third official Two Dudes, One Double Feature video. It's uh, from me this time, and I talk about having just watched all the Showa-era Godzilla films. Which I uh, got the Criterion for Christmas, uh, the last normal Christmas actually, <laughs> and um, it's just been sitting on my shelf for the longest time, and I've been trying to figure out like when was the best time to actually sit down and watch it. And after like you know, just all the conversation of the MonsterVerse we've had over the past month and Godzilla versus Kong and everything, it just kind of felt like you know maybe maybe now was the right time to check that out. So I watched it and I made a whole video about it. I'm a bit nervous, <laughs> but it's 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 more positive. Like it's not like entirely like it's it's sort of middle of the road as far as like my initial feelings and everything. But um, it is a pretty positive experience. I thought. Right? I, I, listen, spe- speaking as somebody who has seen that video, I think it, it, it you bring at, it come at it from an interesting perspective, and um, uh, I definitely I mean, yeah, respect- yeah, that's good. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the impo- that's an important thing, because I I don't know if I would want a, a video where I'm just like, oh, Richard is saying exactly what I want him to say. Yeah, that's a great <laughs> video, guys. That's a great video. <laughs> I'm just trying to like please Joey. That's my goal and everything. Like, are you? No. Is this okay, Master? No, <laughs> Master. Is this fine? Did I say everything you wanted me to say? Oh my God. <laughs> What is our what is our dynamic now like like uh, Sydney Greenstreet and Peter Laurie and Maltese Falcon? Sure, I go. With I mean, that. oh, I, for, I forget you haven't seen that movie. <laughs> you should know me by now. I forget sometimes, man, <laughs> that you are to to quote. I'm going to drop the audio in to quote you from an earlier episode. I'm just a boy. Just a boy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big boy. (laughs) I say this all while I have a copy of Shrek next to me, mind you. So so maybe a 20-year-old Shrek on that note. It makes me feel so old. But that's a whole other conversation. What what Um, a film. What a film. What a film! We might we have to we'll probably get it on the show at some point. Um, yeah, yeah, I th- I think it's 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 on there. I, I think I could say that it's on the schedule at some point. But yeah, but but go. Was that all you wanted to talk about? I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, no. That's that's pretty much the extent of like. I mean, I I've I've been kind of busy. Like it, I've had like you know you ever have those like the those like weekends where it's just you just feel weird. Like nothing necessarily is going on, but maybe it's just like mentally like stuff just going on in your head and stuff like that you know sometimes dude like there'll be saturdays where it's like oh yeah i have nothing to do i have no obligations and then i'll just i'll just stare at a wall or stare and at it's just or doom it's, scroll it's, you know and it's just awkward and it doesn't make you feel good <laughs> again I, again i get paranoid with time and i'm just like oh man that was gone 
That's gone. And it, and it gets worse as you get older, too, because you're just like, how much time have I just wasted doing this? I'm probably not going to be alive in two minutes. <laughs> what the hell? Like, like I, I, that's why I relate to, to uh, Hamilton in that sense, where it was like, why do you write like you're running out of time? <laughs> that's what, that's our podcast. We podcast like we're running out of time. I, I, honestly, like, listen, dude, I'm already on work for like the next couple episodes right now. <laughs> I started typing up notes for the, f- this ep for the following episode, even though we still have two episodes that need to be put out. Oh, we're recording this February, uh, not February, sorry, I don't know why I said, actually I know why I said February, which will get abundantly clear later. May 11th mm-hmm. is when we're recording this, uh, 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I don't care about the Golden Globes. I don't think that's a controversial statement. No, it's it's not really, like, it's just, it's that, it's that award show that is just, like, there before the Oscars, you know what I mean? It's sort of the appetizer for the uh, for the Oscars, yeah, it's I it's guess. like it's it's like that dish that comes out before the appetizer that you're like, I, I didn't order this. And you're like, oh, it's complimentary. Oh, it's like when you go okay. to Liberty Tree Tavern, and it's like you eat everything else, but you get the salad, and you're like, I don't want the salad. I don't, did I? I didn't. I, I mean, thank Although, you. I like salad, just I don't want this salad. It, I appreciate it, it but I, I no, just, I, I want the mac and cheese, potatoes. Turkey, yes, the the the, hand, the roast beef and all that. It's like or, why do you think pri- I come or whatever, here, sir? whatever the meat what was there? I forget. <laughs> it's been such a long time, but but no, yeah, it's 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 pointless. Ultimately, I think. It, ultimately, I agree. Yeah. Um, so this this there's been a controversy with the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, which is the group that runs the Golden Globes. To put it to put it simply, right, and. It, there has been a lot of just shenanigans going on now. When, when like, I, I, I was hearing like you know Tom Cruise was returning his Golden Globe trophies, all three. Uh, um, what's your book? All three of them. Uh, Mark Ruffalo was criticizing them, and a couple others were criticizing were, were criticizing them. And I'm like, I didn't know fully the full story. I assumed that it had to do with something with diversity, which that's one of the talking points. With this, yeah, because don't they have they they have zero like black people in their in their, the, zero, in their Hollywood z- press. Yeah. zero yep zero black people. I think there's I thought I read somewhere there's like eighty seven members as of the old regime old regimes of the Hollywood Foreign Press eighty seven members, and there's one member who had been there for almost twenty years revealed no black members had ever come through the doors of uh, <laughs> which is also significant in that. If you think of like the the film academy and television academy, they have thousands of members more, and then you have the Hollywood Forward Press that barely breaks a hundred. It will only break a hundred with the new things that I I've heard they're trying to implement. But basically, like, and it was crazy too because I was hearing NBC wasn't going to broadcast, or I think it was NBC or somebody wasn't going to broadcast the Golden Globes. I'm like over, and I thought like I thought to myself like because I assumed it was just about the um the, the diversity the diversity thing which you know obviously is, is a major thing but i'm like i can't see i can't see a major network like nbc just dropping the golden globes just because of that there's a but lot they more. have but it's, it is i will say it is crazy that they've actually been dropped several times really too like like nb because i was reading because i was trying to read about this a little bit before we started talking and I read that NBC, I think, dropped them twice. CBS took them over and then dropped them. And then this, I, it was like maybe three or four times before this one that oh, they wow. were dropped because of because because of the same thing that's been going on. Well, and th- but the, the, these this is, it gets even wilder because you get. I'm trying to simplify this as much as I can, but it's such an ongoing, just nuts 
type of situation. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of corruption that goes on in the Hollywood Foreign Press um, Association. And uh, this particularly relates to Emily in Paris, that Netflix, um, that Netflix series, right? That didn't get particularly great reviews, but then somehow found itself on the list of Golden Globe nominees. And as it turned out, a lot of those members were sort of like, "Hey, they're like sort of, you know, say, hey, they're they're sort of like took them to Paris and lavish accommodations, dinners, and a lot of other like great stuff for them." And they're like, hey, you should put uh, Emily in Paris uh, for your consideration. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Here's a here's $100,000. And then the other thing is that, because it's supposed to be a non-profit from what I was reading as well. Mm-hmm. And they were taking these donations and they were just giving them to their, giving them to their members. Like not using them to, to help advance like motion pictures or television or anything like that. They're just giving it to the members. So... A lot's going on, and these these are like federal, like especially with the the with that one. That's a federal crime right there. Exactly. It's like when I was hearing about this, the first thing I thought was like, this is a this was a continuing joke for hosts like Ricky Gervais, um, Tina Fey, and Amy Poehler. Anytime those guys or any kind of comedian that hosted would would throw out a dig at the Hollywood Ford Press for taking bribes and all that stuff, and and they would even and like. When people make these jokes, like us as audience, because we're not in that society or in that community, we don't we don't look past them. Like people would make jokes about um, Harvey Weinstein and how like he was, or you know, these days you probably hear people crack jokes at Leonardo DiCaprio and how he dates younger women. But we we don't we don't think about that stuff. But these people are in that circle, so they joke about this stuff. And so, like, when stuff actually starts coming out, you know, things were a lot worse than, you know, was being said. And that these comedians and hosts on the broadcast were, like, saying, hey, it wasn't so much a joke. It was more like, hey, this this is happening. Like, this stuff is actually legit and bad. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, like, and, and I, from what I've heard, I, I thought I was reading somewhere, too, that they're also going to have 100, 187 additional members plus one um, to sort of, like help with the diversity quota on that, but also make it harder for bribe. Cause that's the other thing with bribing people too. like with the Academy. If you want to like really like bribe people of the Academy, you have to bribe a hell of a lot of people because there's thousands of members. There's, there's thousands of thousands, members. thousands of members, uh, film Academy, television Academy. They have a growing list of, of members, whereas Hollywood Foreign Press was always like again a very small, tight knit group of people that have been together for you know a long time. Yeah. So I just wanted to bring that up. This is this is uh, May eleventh. If there's like a significant minor development um, on this, I'll try to incorporate it here and just like as an audio snippet. But yeah, I just wanted to bring that up because we don't always cover movie news on here, but I think it, it was it needed to be discussed because it's such a wild story. It really is. Like again, like this is this is just stuff you know we might have heard offhand as like a like a like a jab or some sort of like you know bit in a stand up show or like in a hosting thing you'd hear about something like the Holly with the Hollywood Foreign Press. Like I think the worst thing I ever heard about with them was when Brendan Fraser you know, was saying that, you know, one of the former members groped him and, you know, it was a really traumatic experience for him. And that was like, 
that was one moment where I was like, it just kind of like you just sort of like not that I ever really cared about the Golden Globes that much, but it was just like that sort of like was like, come on. Yeah, like this is a whole this is a whole whole ongoing thing, but we're gonna stop talking about it now because we have a pretty uh, exciting pair of films tonight. And this is a f- kind of a first for us, which it's surprising. It's taken us nearly a year to get this to this genre. Yeah, if, if I had it my way, this would have been like the first ten episodes. <laughs> <laughs> well, good thing it's two dudes, not Joey and Richard. <laughs> <laughs> oh my we gosh! Equal partners, sir. So you think? <laughs> yeah, I have more power than you. I mean, <laughs> that's sometimes true. <laughs> that is some. Oh my god! That is occasionally true. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, this this is a a, a western themed episode, which it, it it is it is an interesting genre to talk about because many decades ago, it was the it was the genre of film. Like it was, you know, that there's certain like like genres of like different like films and things that are attributed to like a country or whatever for America outside of the spaghetti Western. Of course, the Western was a big one, especially in early Hollywood because you could do them on the cheap. And some of the earliest movie stars were Western stars. I mean, and classic Hollywood stars like John, John Wayne. And then John, John Wayne's like quintessential Western star for a lot of people. Quintessential Western star. I mean, literally on the great movie ride, when they get to that West, the Western section, you have the two major actors. You have just John Wayne and Clint Eastwood. That's it. <laughs> like, I that's mean, like, there's, that's two. That's literally two sides of the same coin. It's like, yeah, there's a, there's other Western stars and there are other great Westerns, but like, you know, when you think of the West, you think of as far as actors, you think of John Wayne or Clint Eastwood. But today we're not talking about John Wayne, even though maybe someday we'll talk about a John Wayne movie. But we'll get there. We'll get there. Today uh, we're actually talking about a Clint Eastwood movie, pro- arguably. I don't even know if arguably this is probably might be the most famous movie he's ever acted in that it's probably that and like maybe Dirty Harry but I, I probably heard about this one more than Dirty but I've obviously heard like the you gotta ask yourself one question do you feel lucky you know what then again like I, the first time I ever heard that line was in a quote on in the mask because Jim Carrey does a Clint Eastwood impression so right um, yeah, that. But point is, it's prolific. Yes, th- this this film, even if you've even if you've never seen it, the title might sound familiar. The title's been the title itself has been spoofed many, 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 many times. The the the, the, the sheer amounts of spoofs on this movie and you know tributes and homages and all that is um is almost countless. And that movie, my friends, is the good, the bad, and the ugly, or as I like to call it. The Richard, the Joe, and the very much Joe. Are you saying I'm I'm bad and ugly? Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. It'd be the Richard slash Joe, this, and then it would be. This is awful. And then it would be the bride from Idaho, and then it would be the very much bride from Idaho. Oh my gosh! <laughs> but he's this, dead now, so it's this okay. Is, this is upsetting. <laughs> whatever anyway this is <laughs> i'm kidding i'm kidding all right so this is this well, the main reason He's gorgeous man oh my god thank you 
so the main reason why this is on our program, this is part of our, our almost continuing series of like, as we said, Richard, I ha also have these two, but Richard has some cinematic blind spots that I really felt needed to be corrected. You know, <laughs> this is, this is very true. This is a hundred percent true. Like, I almost like to think of this as like, as, as me, I, and I'm not, I've said this before, I'm not a film school professor or anything like that, but this is sort of me taking Richard through almost like cinema 101, like, like the, <laughs> like really like essential, essential stuff. I think about like singing in the rain as one of those, um, as one of those titles, which I mean, like from an outside perspective, it might seem a bit demeaning, but it's, it, I, it's not. Because it's just the truth. I've just not seen a lot of these movies. I mean, he's, <laughs> Richard's seen a lot of movies. I mean, look, there's a lot of movies that I, I've never, you know, watched or like, you know. Yeah. They're, they're there's, out. there's just a lot of movies. There's a lot of movies out there. And I think people often forget about that. And that's that's kind of the exciting thing. That's 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 the best part about the show. Honestly, yeah. is like, you know, just getting to share an experience with your friend. So there's nothing wrong. I like that. I like doing that. Uh, yes, and you gorgeous uh, man. Um, no, you're really <laughs> I, like the, I like the hair flip. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So the good, the bad, and the ugly. Now th this is almost as essential as they get in a lot in a lot of ways, especially too when you think about like just I just need to say the name Quentin Tarantino. The since 2009. Quentin Tarantino's been trying to emulate this movie, and I think it's his fa it's his favorite movie if I heard if I remember correctly. I think he said once. I think he said once it's the best directed movie of all time, or I, I thought he said something like that. Yeah, and and like you like you watch Inglorious Bastards, you watch um, Django Unchained, um, like, like any of the any of his movies from that point, even. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which might see might be the one to be like, oh no no no, what about that one? It's like no. There's got it's Clint Eastwood's whole like real life story had to have inspired Rick Dalton in so many ways on on some on some level I I would say on on some level perhaps um but yeah this is it, it's one of those it's a crazy film because it's for those who don't know it's a this movie's a spaghetti western and spaghetti westerns you know especially you know back in the 1960s they're Italian Italian produced movies. That were a lot of the time were shot in Spain. They had international casts, um, and a lot of the time, these movies were done. A lot of the time, like actors gravitated towards these movies because, like somebody like Clint Eastwood, for example, he was doing Rawhide, and he couldn't do American American films at that point in his career because of his contract. However, he could go to Europe and shoot some of these spaghetti westerns and work on that. And then the these spaghetti westerns were then, you know, they were they were dubbed and that's the other famous thing too that the the dubbing thing with spaghetti westerns right. and and all that. I mean, that's just like an Italian movie kind of thing. I mean, I like when we were watching it, I thought a lot of like Dario Argento with Suspiria and how pretty much even though I the entire movie is in English, like everybody's dubbed mm -hmm. in that movie. So right. I think it's like an in, more of an in general like Italian thing, but especially for the for this one, uh, because there are some actors that are speaking their native language. I mean, yeah, I mean, basically everybody's like everybody's in their in their native language, and like the director director's Italian, barely Sergio Leone, uh, barely speaks barely, doesn't speak a lot of English. Or, I mean, he speaks some, but like Clint had to work with this director where 
like Italian was not his native language and English wasn't Sergio's native language. But they made it work somehow. It was they, weird. They made three really good um really good movies out, out of that out of that partnership. And weren't spaghetti westerns at that time sort of frowned upon? I th- yeah, I think in many in, in in some circles, yeah. I I I would say so, especially what, what just because it, it was like because it was just like foreign. It's a fa- it wasn't like the American made or whatever. I mean that too, but I also think like when you get when you get into like genre stuff, you know, we talk about like superheroes and like giant monsters and stuff, and mm-hmm. like like spaghetti westerns were also known for for their violence, you know, right, the, yeah. the violence factor and just the way the way certain things were portrayed. You know, actually, in fact, like when Good, the Bad, and the Ugly came out, it was massively successful box office wise, but critically, it got more of a mixed reception initially. Whereas now, many would argue it's it's it might be the greatest western of all time. Right. Uh, outside of the praises, let's get into the the actual the actual film. The actual film, which the basic gist of this story is, then th- and this is a a three hour movie. If you're watching the extended version, which is what we watched. <laughs> Which, <laughs> on that note, whenever Joey introduces me to a three-hour or almost three-hour or over three-hour-long old movie, even if I end up liking it, my initial my reaction will always be, "Okay." <laughs> I was very worried. I was honestly very worried with this one because there are a lot of landscape shots. You know, a lot of landscape shots, especially think about that opening scene. Where, where we're first introduced to Tuco, and mm-hmm. it's just, and we're just like, what is going on? I, I was, I'm just, I was just imagining the the scenario in my mind, and it's not like one of those movies where it's like, oh, if Richard falls asleep, he could just rewatch it. It's a three hour movie. I'm not gonna expect my co host to rewatch a three hour movie for the show. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, and you would be correct in that assumption. <laughs> Especially if it was a three hour movie that you did not. Um, enjoy but thankfully 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 did but the the main gist of this there, there's three guys there's two hundred thousand dollars in gold uh that they're searching for three cowboys three bandits outlaw whatever you want to call them blondie tuco angel eyes that's our three yes. guys our three our three leads you know our three leads and they're all they're all searching for uh they're all searching for this gold which in, a, in any other any other western classic western, if it was made like a Hollywood movie, this would be very clean. You know, I, I imagine I imagine John Wayne, Henry Fonda would be in it. It would be a good movie, I think, but it would be it'd be very clean. It look it look very nice. They'd be in very clean outfits, and it'd be very like just ornate. washed, no dirt or dust or nothing. Just washed, you know, everything looked real pretty. And the the the, the t- like like they would actually get to the two hundred thousand dollars in gold aspect of that very very early on. Not this movie. <laughs> there would be clearly clearly a good guy and clearly a bad guy. Like it was really black and white. That and again, that's not that's not what ha- that's not how this movie rolls, man. No, this, this isn't what it does. It's it's very like. It, this is more true grit than maybe the actual true grit, which I, I can't really say because I haven't seen. But I just I've, I've never seen the original <laughs> True Grit. Really, I've never seen it. No, that that actually surprises the hell out of me because I figured I, I figured you would have seen it. No, 
That's wild. You you saw the remake though. Right? I like the re I like the remake, but it's been a yeah, while. The, I have the steel book. I got the steel book recently. I like that. I like the remake too, but I didn't I didn't know like this. I don't know. That's pretty wild. That's pretty wild. We learn new things on this show. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, again, it goes to show you. There's a lot of movies out there, and you don't always get to see them. Sometimes you're watching stuff for the podcast, and other times you're watching Godzilla versus Gigan. You know, like and and you know, it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> It but was away, definitely one of the fun ones. This is true. But uh, uh, away from that, like the actual, the, uh, like I think you can't you can't talk about this movie without a couple things. But primarily, you have to talk about the three leads of the movie: Clint Eastwood, Ninja Master. <laughs> when he says Ninja Master, he means uh, Lee Van Cleef. <laughs> we can talk about that a little bit later, but sure. I, just, I just still think that's. It is, it is funny <laughs> how, how that whole thing trans like transpired, but but Clint Eastwood first and foremost. I mean, I mean this, these are, these movies are what he's again what he's mostly known for is the, you know because he plays the man with no name. That's you know he, in all in like the whole trilogy of movies that he did, he's playing you know I think it's Manco or Mancho or whatever. And I think in I a few th- dollars I th- more. Yeah, for a few dollars more, I think it's Manco. Uh, Manco. Manco or whatever. It's been a while since I've watched the first two. Admittedly. And then Fistful of... I mean, I think they called him Joe at one point in Fistful of Dollars. Yeah, I do recall that. So it it could be what it was. And then in this one, he's just called Blondie the whole time by Tuco. Yeah. And he's kind of that quintessential, like, you know, he's that character that, you know, a lot of those kind of, st- like, stoic, you know, quiet, like, loner drifter kind of anti-hero characters that we've seen like you know max rakitansky i imagine maybe had some inspiration uh from uh from clint eastwood some superhero characters obviously i think batman's might made it might have had some inspiration there well batman came first so probably not but, but maybe, maybe, later maybe iterations may, yeah maybe i was gonna say maybe lit it later yeah. um later incarnations of the character you know but like just just that character that you know he 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 speaks more with with what he does versus what he says and that's kind of a an element of like those types of movies in general really and i think he kind of represents that you know he he will probably just stare at you and then shoot you before he actually says i'm going to shoot you <laughs> you know you know what i mean like metaphorically <laughs> speaking yeah, and I also think, too, like, one of the things that, like, Clint, I think Clint was advocating for this. He was advocating for less dialogue for his character, and I honestly think that works a lot, because there are, like, because he doesn't, he doesn't speak a lot in this movie. Like, his co-stars get a lot more dialogue, and I think about, like, two instances specifically. One, where he's watching, like, the Civil War battle play out at the end of the movie, and he's like, I've never seen so many men wasted so badly. And it really, it really just, it really just says it all, and it, it it has an impact because he hasn't said much about anything else in the movie. And then there's another line where like Tuco is having trouble reading, and he's like, "Id, id, idiot, idiots." It means you. <laughs> <laughs> this is for you. <laughs> and if, if you couldn't hear it, but Richard was doing the the Clint squint. <laughs> you couldn't hear it for sure. Uh, you could not. <laughs> No, but like, but that was, but that's, but the funny thing about that is that squint is one of the most iconic things. Like when the mute, when that music kicks up the Ennio Marcone, like, you know, you know, 
which is probably the first bit of music I think of when I think of westerns. I've always, without ever seeing this movie, that was I always thought of that music. Mm-hmm. My instant reaction is to do Clint Eastwood and you know get the eyes like you know, like kind of like don't look pissed, but just look like someone maybe just farted. And you're just not happy about it, like <laughs> the constant, place. the constant thing we were were going like saying like his looks in this movie. A lot of the time, he looks like he is slightly disappointed that the manager said no to him, <laughs> or or um, they said they have Coke instead of Pepsi, or the other way around. <laughs> like yeah. like he just like he went somewhere and like um I want a large I want a large Coke. Um, is Pepsi okay? Uh... <laughs> Is it really? Is it? Do you, do you think it is? You better ask yourself a question. <laughs> there are two but, kinds uh, of like, there are two kinds of people in this world, my friend. Those who drink Coke and those who drink Pepsi. And I'm leaving because I drink Coke. <laughs> That's one of my that, favorite like yeah. running lines in any movie. Is like two there are two kinds of people in the in this world. Like I just love <laughs> I love that. Mm-hmm. No, and I like that was definitely a cool like like it was like a power shift thing that they would constantly do between like Tuco and Blondie. And so you're just like there are two kinds of people in this world: people with bullets, people is it like people with bullets, people with a shovel, Do- those with it? loaded guns, and those who those dig. dig. You dig. You dig. Thank you. It was it was it was close. <laughs> I, oh man, there, there's some. I, I'm like, okay, uh, Clint, but, Clint is gr- Clint is great in this movie. I think we want to emphasize that Clint is iconic. Really, I mean, that's the perfect word to say it. Yes, there's a reason why the the man has lasted as as long as he has in in the movie business is because not even just this, but also like you know, again, Dirty Harry or some of the other characters, the films he's directed. Uh, you know, I know a lot of people really love. It was it was really this that sort of like put him on the map. I think it would, really would you say the same. It really made him a big star, like th- mm-hmm. because this this was a huge success when it came out. Um, but going away going away from um, from from Clint, do you want to do you want to go from like good, bad, and ugly, or do you want to? I figured that would make sense. So All bad right, so would be Ninja Master. Ninja Master, <laughs> Lee Van Cleef. <laughs> Listen, listen, Lee Van Cleef, like, 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 that's just a meme, Richard, because we, we were looking on, on Lee Van Cleef's letterbox profile, and we came across this Ninja Master thing, and I'm like, oh man, what is this? And I look up, there's a whole <laughs> series called The Master, where he plays a Ninja Master, he's got a sword, dude look, Dude looks like, like, uh, he, he has a slight resemblance to my, to my grandpa on my mom's side, and I'm like, I'm just imagining my, my grandpa with, with a katana or some, something, <laughs> Like, <laughs> like, like, come here, young Joe. Sit with me. <laughs> I want my ice cream. Come here. Let's let's come here. Let's just be at peace. So that's my new that's my new binging project. So expect a video on that at some point. <laughs> the, when you showed me the picture that it finally came in the mail, I was like. It's real. <laughs> Joey took this way too far. It's so real. Oh. But Lee Van Cleef. Lee Van Cleef. I mean, Angel Eyes. Angel Eyes. Now, listen, nobody in this movie is good. Okay, we're going to no. get into that a little bit. But the, I think Angel Eyes is one of the great, like, villain, like antagonists or villains mm. in a movie. He was, I mean, he, like, the whole opening scene was 
full of tension because he just walks in there and he sits down at the table and it, and and you don't really know what's happening there's no music it's again it reminded me of the opening scene of Inglorious Bastards mm-hmm. which again even just the music cues and just like the like the guy obviously you know um, Hans Landa was a lot more vocal when he came around because you know it's Tarantino but even so the vibes were exactly the same and so you're seeing the scene and you're just seeing Lee Van Cleef just like stare at him as he's eating his like his like soup or whatever and it's it's just really intense and obviously it ends how you expect but you know what i thought like you probably already knew this but i was watching a video and it's kind of weird to think that of the three this is just a side note lee van cleef angel eyes killed the least amount of guys yeah he only killed like three people i didn't even think of that i was like oh yeah like he's the bad and yet (laughs) clint eastwood's gunned down more dudes in this entire movie it's true, but it's also a f- I think fair to point out too that like out of the three, he's not focused on as much as as Tuco or Blondie. But still, it is it is kind of funny to note that the one who is labeled the bad killed only in comparison <laughs> only three people. Only three people, but that was also kind of crazy. Is that because he was sort of like an introduct and in, like introduct introducing character? I, I you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was like the first, more or less, the first character besides Tuco that we met because it kind of went backwards first. Yeah, because it was Tuco, and then it was Angel Eyes. But he was the one that had the most like prominent first scene of the three, I think, because again, just that tension fueled moment, just having him sit at the dinner table, just staring at this guy and like have a the briefest of conversations before he just under the table like. Psh- like but, Han Solo before it was edited, you know what I mean? Oh my god! But but he but he he's such a he's such a bastard in this movie. Like I, I think about like you know the guy guy tries to pay pay him, you know, and, and then he ki- he kills the dude, and then he goes to the other guy who hired him to kill that one dude. He's like, well, listen, you know, I I, when I, I always see a job through when I'm paid, so he kills the other guy. <laughs> like <laughs> like you can't say that he doesn't like commit to his promises. He has, still a he, he has a he has a very screwed up moral code. He's <laughs> like, listen, I'm sorry, they paid me. I gotta do this, but I paid you first. Yeah, I don't really care. <laughs> I'm still gonna kill you. But it's just I also I just love I love Lee Van Cleef's voice in this it's, movie. It's very deep and it's very like hypnotic. You know and, and, I mean? But it's it's got a very uh, one of my favorite lines. I'm just gonna read it off. Uh, even a filthy beggar like that has got a protecting angel. <laughs> a golden hair angel watches over him. <laughs> Did Ninja Master just show up? <laughs> that should be that should be my Halloween costume this year. Oh my god! Oh my god, dude. My God! But I, you know, one of my favorite Angel Eye, one of my favorite Angel Eye sequences that I believe only appears in the extended version is where he's he's looking on that like the destruct like the the sort of destroyed like battlefield or like the camp of like the of the Confederates and you hear that great Ennio all the Ennio Morricone music is great. Yeah, of yeah the whole thing is great. Yeah. But like it, it, it's he sort of like he, he you get like the sort of a three I think it's almost like a three sixty view of like what was there and it, it's such a, i forgot about that because i was watching the theatrical version and it doesn't have that moment 
but mm-hmm. the extended the extended version does, and it's one of my favorite one of my favorite bits in the whole uh, whole movie. I think I don't know what mine would be because he's got a lot. I think it was probably like when um. Because again, he he doesn't show up a whole hell of a lot in the movie, but like when he does, that it's like it creates like such like an impact. So like mm-hmm. when like when um they were disguised as Confederates, and they go to yes. the camp, and um uh, you know with all the like, other captured Confederates, and then he like is standing there with his old like his cape or whatever, and he turns around and uh, like well hold up. Well, 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 I'll say, I'll say that, boy. Hold up now. <laughs> <laughs> I just turned into Foghorn Leghorn. But <laughs> or, or did Ninja Master become Foghorn Leghorn? <laughs> I say, I say here, boy. You are definitely, you are definitely not the man with the eye patch I was looking for. Now, now, see here, see here, boy. <laughs> oh, and then, and then, just the whole bit when he like, when he like kicks the crap out of Tuco. Oh, that, oh that that um the Ooh. um uh the the song of the soul of the soldier, that's another like gr- one of the great moments in the whole movie where you hear that like this soft the, the soft like beautiful like piece of music. This is the <laughs> juxtaposition of that yes. music with the violence of Tugo getting the shit kicked out of him, and that that is that is something I don't think would have happened in like a like a American like a classic American western, or at least not oh, hell to no. that. At least not to that extent. Like, there's, you feel so bad. Like, Tuco is a horrible person, but you you feel bad. Like, he is like he's about to get his eyes popped out at one point. He you see, after he had like a full meal, he's like a, like the big dudes like crushing him. It's like man, Ugh. dude. And I mean, then like you know, Blondie comes in. You know, man with no name just comes in and it's just like again he's just like leaning on things he's all casual and cool and stuff you know like the worst thing that happens to blondie in this whole movie is that trek through the desert that was insane though that was insane like, like just the just he was intentionally like dehydrating him like yeah. the like the moment he tries to get some water too goes like nah <laughs> it's not happening uh but i want to i want to get to tuco because the ugly the ugly, this guy, Eli okay, Wallach. Sorry. No, this guy, Eli Wallach is great. <laughs> this guy is like he's he's the kind of guy that you know he changes loyalty with the drop of a hat. You know, like you know whoever's the highest bidder, that's who he's like friends with. You know what I mean? He's and he's the kind of guy that will like screw you over if if it means higher profit for him. Yeah. And so, like, like, the, like, like, even with that scene, you know, he's he's dragging him out in the desert. He's de- deliberately dehydrating him. But the moment, the moment, um, the man with no name gets a, just a smidge more information about where the gold is, he's like, "Hey, buddy, wake up! Come on, you have some water. You, you want some water? Here, come, here, come on, wake up, buddy!" And you're like, "Piece of crap, this guy." <laughs> uh, Tuco, t- 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 but it, it's also weird too, because because for me. It, it it a lot of ways like when I think about I Tuka I, I think Eli Wallach steals the show like every scene that he's in he's so interesting and and funny like <laughs> I love I love the I love the scene when he comes in and he like makes the gun or like yes. redoes the gun which it was that was improvised wasn't it that was an that was a, an improvised uh, bit because I was because I was reading up on I was while I was watching that video and they were mon- mentioning that and I was like. 
that makes sense. But like it, it like he does such a good job that it, it really convinces you. Like, do, do I have to do this if I want to? <laughs> is this possible? And it's like there's a lot of things in the movie. Where it's like no, that's not. But it do, it doesn't matter because like there's a certain like commitment commitment to to you know and, and well, well there's other moments like that i just love I, there's so many just great things i think about um i i, I just I, I love again when they when they do like the you know the two you know two kinds of people in this world again and again and again with with, with blondie um, on my, you know what on that note my favorite line is probably from tuco when he says if you're gonna shoot shoot <laughs> they're like don't like, that's along those lines that's a great scene where he's, he's, just, where he's, he's in the tub. He's <laughs> just in the tub, and and again, logistically speaking, that gun should probably not work under the water. I'm assuming, but it does, and he just gets up, and he's got suds all over him. He's got the guns, got suds, and he's like, "If you're gonna shoot, shoot." <laughs> like some, like again, that's I'm paraphrasing, but I liked that. I liked that scene a lot, and it's great because like you have Clint, who's very stoic, very silent type and then Tuco just goes on and on like I think about the scene where he's first captured he's like you bastard oh I hope your mother goes to a two dollar whorehouse you bastard <laughs> bastard you sons of farmers you bastards Jesus <laughs> I remember that oh, oh, oh when one bastard comes out two comes in or, or like uh, you know, or I love um, when when Clint's just like you know thinking about ending their partnership. He's like, oh, if you miss, you better miss very well, because he, he who lets Tuco live knows nothing about Tuco. <laughs> and then he comes back, and then he dehydrates him, and like like and even just the detail on that too. I know we're like lingering on that moment a bit, but like just I just keep thinking about like just seeing Clint Eastwood just like all like with his face like all dried and cracked and you're like oh dude, I think and it also too like sometimes when when Tuco has that like dehydrate like the lip when you see his lips especially mm-hmm. like they they're very um very <laughs> very parched uh we'll, we'll, we'll put it like that. <laughs> you know, very very parched, but I, I and also like Tuco in a lot of ways, is sort of the main character. He's the character we know the most about. We we spend the most time with him, really. It's it's really, it's really Lee Van Cleef, um, Ninja Master, um, and uh, um, Clint Eastwood that are sort of like, I guess, like I wouldn't maybe supporting characters, but I don't know if that's necessarily the right way to describe. Uh, they're they're co they're co leads. That makes sense. Yeah, it's just they don't they don't have nearly as much. I think screen time as Tuco does, so we're spending a lot of time with Tuco, and he is a very like entertaining, energetic character, even if you sort of hate him. <laughs> but like, I also think of like, um, like like the humor part, like with him as well. Like again, like I love the bit when um <laughs> when when, uh, when Blondie's like in the bed and he's like trying to wake him up. <laughs> does he like hit him on the head or like smack him or something with like the <laughs> pot or whatever? Like that was that was hysterical. That was fun. But this whole movie, Richard, I've said this before. This whole movie's a three-hour Looney Tunes cartoon. <laughs> it kind of feels like that in a, in a lot of ways. Because because Clint is Bugs Bunny, he doesn't have to do much to to win, but he's able to win. Like it's like it like instead of the little cig- like cigar thing that he has, just imagine a carrot. Yeah, and Tuco is like Daffy. 
where he talk he just talks too much and he knows that he can he can maneuver the situation but he doesn't know exactly quite how plus like the at the fates align it do, doesn't always work his way and then and then angel eyes is is elmer fudd it yeah just, like, it just you know just shoots things <laughs> like uh <laughs> what's up doc <laughs> um but going beyond beyond those guys like you have to talk talk about Ennio Morricone's music. The music is sensational in this movie. It's iconic. And even though I've seen it so many times, so many like I've heard it parodied so many times. I've heard it so many I times. Mean, before I even watched this movie, I felt like I experienced a lot of it already. Mm-hmm. Like just from seeing other movies that were heavily inspired by it or seeing or again just knowing that famous song, that famous track that plays at the very beginning of the movie and associating that with Westerns before, again, seeing a single frame of this movie, I knew what it was. And so the moment it plays, that's the moment I'm like, I'm ready. Let's get this. Who do I have to shoot? Punk. <laughs> but it's still, it's, it, it, it it's, still, it still feels so like amazingly fresh despite the fact that this is an over 50 year old movie even if you know something like there's a difference between knowing something and experiencing something that'll always be the truth like you like you'll most people will probably always know darth vader luke skywalker are kin but it's one thing to know that it's another thing to experience it entirely and i think that's very much the case with this like to hear that music in its purest form where it originated it just feels even more exciting Mm. Like, like again, the whole title sequence just really gets you amped up for the whole thing you're about to watch, regardless if it's almost three hours or not, because you're just you're on board already. And I also um, speaking on the music, the ecstasy of gold is one of the one of the for me, one of the greatest pieces of music in anything. I'm not even just limiting that to like film music. It's just it's such a perfect piece of music and it's perfect for that specific sequence where Tuco is try- desperately trying to find Arch Stanton's uh, Arch Stanton's like you know grave mm-hmm. and I mean again that music will always just be like forever ingrained even if it is also consistently played during like eight or nine car commercials that play periodically on television commercials I've heard it on, on some like you know beer commercials uh, as, it's well, like, as well it's 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 kind of ironic to think how this this music that originated in a particular subgenre of a of western that you know initially at, among uh, upon its release was sort of like frowned upon because you know and then like years later America adopted it into the most American things like Ford Tough beer and, <laughs> and it doesn't even just that but like Metallica uses this to introduce their live shows and like some bands have used this to introduce their shows. And put it on their things or whatever. So, it's it really it's a thing that certainly has outlasted. It's just kind of wild, just in general. This piece of music, how many times it's been used. (laughs) It's it's oh my god, dude. But I think one thing I do want to talk about this for a hot second. But yeah. Um. So this movie is part of a pretty famous trilogy. Sure. Um. Well, it's uh, so on the Blu-ray discs that I bought. It is called the Man with No Name trilogy, but it for many it's probably known as what the Dollars trilogy, right? Uh, yeah, either or. I've heard because do- the first two have you know 
it's kind of like the Dark Knight trilogy, but backwards. <laughs> We're like two of yeah. the dark two of the Dark Knight trilogy movies have Dark Knight in their name, and then one is and then one is not. <laughs> it's just it's it's a not, it, but it's you know it is what it is. Yeah. Um. But uh, before like I didn't expect this to happen, but I just randomly walked into Walmart the other day, and um. I found the the three disc set that had all three movies, and I figured we're going to talk about this movie on the podcast. Might as well buy this, and if I have a moment, depending on when we decide to record, I'll watch them. And we had the time, and not that like we made time for it, but I sat and I watched the entire thing. This is for you, sir. Well, because I also because I was curious. <laughs> but it was you, also you, for you. you beautiful, beautiful creature. Oh, thank you. See, that's why I'm the good. <laughs> and you too. Um, but uh, no, I watched the whole thing. I watched Fishful. Fishful? Of, of <laughs> fistful. Damn <laughs> Fishes! Now I'm, just, now I'm just imagining, um, uh, instead of like shouting Nemo, uh, Tuco! Tuco! <laughs> Tuco! <laughs> Um, but I, yeah, I decided to watch all the movies and they're like, they were really good, honestly. Like the first one, Fistful of Dollars, um, you said it was based on something. It was based on Yojimbo, right? Yeah. It's been described as a, as a Western ripoff of Yojimbo. There you go. And (laughs) so when you, whenever, I think you'll really enjoy Yojimbo. But you'll, mm-hmm. when you watch Yojimbo, you'll be like, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm like, Did I see this already? But also, y- Yojimbo takes inspiration uh, from the Dashiell Hammett novel, uh, Red Harvest. So which it's, it's, just, it's, just like a, it's just like a layers thing. It's like yeah, there's... A, it's, it's a retooling of a remake, of a reimagined, uh, of a... Fi- it, uh, fist, fistful of ripoffs, as they say. <laughs> But but you know what? Between the between the two other ones, between the 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 dollar titled specific ones, I'd probably say I liked few dollars for a few dollars more better than Fistful mm-hmm. of Dollars. I think it had a more interesting narrative, and I liked the the uh, the the whole dynamic between Lee Van Cleef and Clint Eastwood, and I liked the. Just like the, the the shootouts were more like it, it it definitely and it definitely felt like um because because it ends this sort of similarly to Good and the Bad and the Ugly with that big circle and they're all standing on like either except in this one it's Clint Eastwood actually involved whereas in few dollars more he's just sitting there with his rifle after mm-hmm. he gave his pistol to to Lee Van Cleef so I actually really like had a good experience with all these movies so I'm glad I watched them. And and yeah. I watch them in chronological order. Apparently, yes, because it, it, okay, if if you view the man with no name character as the same person, like if you view Clint Eastwood's character in all these movies as the same person, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly is technically the best prequel ever made. It's it's definitely like one. Of, I would, I mean, again, I don't. I wouldn't say the best. Because again, I'm not. I don't know what I would pick. Honestly, I have to think about that. But that one is definitely a good one. I would say it's up there. <laughs> it's up there for sure. But and it kind of makes sense because when we first meet him, he's not wearing the like icon. Just from an aesthetic point of view, he's not wearing the iconic outfit. He's kind of no, the same guy, 
Like he doesn't really change like characteristics speaking, but he's just wearing a different outfit. Yeah. This is true. It actually it actually looks cleaner, oddly enough. Yeah. And I'm just thinking about this in general. Like I also want to bring up Sergio Leone because Sergio Leone I mean, as we said earlier, Quentin Tarantino said that um, Good, the Bad, the Ugly, best directed movie of all time. So you have mm-hmm. to mention the director, Sergio Leone, who direct, out of out of his seven, I think, like official directorial credits, made four westerns. Them being the Dollars Trilogy, and then, um, well, actually Once five. Time, five. Once Upon five. Time in the West and... So Once Upon Time in the West and Duck, You Sucker. <laughs> this is a great title. Which is also has another objectively great title, Fistful of Dynamite. Another great title. That is another <clears throat> you know, great sort of, title. Sort of a western, you know. But kind of like Throne of keep... Blood and Spiderweb Castle? I mean... Kind of. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> uh, but, you know, tip, typically people talk about the Dollars Trilogy and Once Upon a Time in the West. But one of the things that Leone is known for, I think, is just the buildup. The buildup of, of, ten- of the tension and then that, that quick dirty release of the tension like you think about the opening scene in this movie where it takes it takes a little bit for them for us to finally meet Tuco not that long but like it takes a little bit before you know we really get to meet one of our main characters I was say that he's I was gonna say he sort of perfected that like again within within our modern context like the quintessential um western standoff scene you know like you know, I remember doing a short, like doing a short film for a class in college, and I was trying to build up like a tension scene like that, and like I would like cut away and then cut back, and then like I would be more zoomed in on the main character until it got to his eyes, which is again very Sergio Leone. Like it's just like that 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 constant build up before the before someone pulls the trigger to like really go, what's gonna happen? What's gonna happen? Who's gonna? Oh God! What's gonna happen? Is he gonna do it? Who's the, You're at the edge of your seat, and it, and that Ennio Morricone music really helps. It helps with that as well. So there's sort of a match made in heaven. But I again, that end scene, like with, with the Trinity, like just like how much time goes by. But like that, the whole the whole buildup is great. And I also think about Once Upon a Time in the West, which I hope you do check out at some point. Um, the first, the opening scene, I think is like 16 minutes or something ridiculous like that until we finally get some type of like nothing but tension. It's just like, it's just these guys are just waiting around for their, for their, for who they're waiting for. And it's just, it's just like, I remember I was first watching them like, is my, is my Blu-ray broken or something? Is this just like, what is, what is going on? (laughs) It's just like, oh my God. But also uh, going, continuing with Leone though, like. Again, we talk about the tension and the buildup. I also think about just, um, again, the portrayal of violence. It's like it's quick and mm-hmm. it's brutal. I, I think one of the most brutal things for me is when when he he puts the pillow over the dude's um, when Angel Eyes puts the pillow over the dude's face, and it just like shoots him like eight times, eight <laughs> like, times, or and, like you know, like I'm literally like, was it one? What did it? <laughs> like ooh. Oh man! Um, and also, like he's he's also obsessed with like interesting faces. Like faces are a big thing for Leone. I mean, other than Clint Eastwood, nobody's in, nobody in this movie is really like traditionally good looking. Mm-hmm. I would argue. I would argue. So, like you have all and even the extras. The extras have very distinct. Like I, I I will never forget the one like saloon keeper that Tuco threatens. To get information out of, <laughs> I will remember his face. I'll remember the one, the one uh, Confederate. Um, 
I think one Confederate uh, dude with no teeth. I remember him. I remember the guy with no legs. Or I remember Lee Van Cleef, how the tip of his finger is cut off. Like when, he, when you see when you see that standoff and you see his finger, you're like, what? And like even just like Lee Van Cleef has one of the best like noses, like best shape faces. You know, yeah. like because it looks like. And it's like Willem Dafoe in that, like, it's inherently sinister looking, which makes you kind of feel bad for them because maybe, like, they're trying to, like, go out and live their daily lives. And then, like, people would just be like, no, no sir. No, no. I just want to, I just, um, And just, like, just the distinctive faces, I think, is a big thing. And just the like the close up the close up is a big thing but also just those long those landscape shots where the figures are like black silhouettes in the distance i think about like the end of the movie where you see clint riding off away from sad hill cemetery and you just see he's just like a black speck on the screen mm-hmm. at that at that point or um i just again i know we keep harping on this one scene but it's a great scene where the trek through the desert and you just yeah. see you just see these figures like just trying to get through and it really adds a lot of production value. I feel like just having, it makes it feel like Lawrence of Arabia, you know, <laughs> makes it like a bigger production oh than maybe God. what the budget they had was, you know, it looks, Oh man, that was like, like I remember when you got the 4k and you were sending me pictures of like how it looked in 4k, and like just how like mesmerized, like obviously on my end, it's like, it's like a weird small digital, but I'm sure like in person, it looks like, Good lord, you know. Oh yeah, I mean it, it's 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 definitely. I I got the Kino the Kino Lorber um 4K and it, it was definitely it's definitely the best of the movie movie has ever looked is on that disc. I'm excited. Well, I I actually ha- I only ever watched it on um on my Vudu, but I do have the Blu-ray now, so I'm excited to see at least because it does say on the back. Uh, a newly remastered version of Good, the Bad, the Ugly. So hopefully it looks pretty good on on just regular Blu-ray as well. It's it, it's it's probably fine. You know, people have their critiques of things, but ultimately, with this movie, I mean, it, it's it's hard to talk about it like su- like subjectively, you know, objectively because it's like it, it's such an iconic piece of cinema and it's influenced so much. But I do I do think that even just outside of that stuff, I think it's a pretty damn entertaining. A pretty damn amazing movie, you know, on its own. I agree with that. It's, it was definitely exciting, like, to finally sit down and, like, just watch all of these movies. I mean, Good, the Bad, the Ugly, obviously, but I'll, but just the rest of them as well. Because, again, I've seen so... I feel like these are, like, really good examples of, like, seeing a movie through osmosis. You know, just, like, having it, had an experience with this piece of music or had experience with this um, type of directing um, to one degree or another, if you've seen any Tarantino movie again, it's, it's more than likely you've seen a heavy Leone influence there. And so uh, to actually see the real thing and 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 within the context that that it was in, it was it it was it really did feel like I f- filled a major blind spot. So good job, sir. Thank you. Now you did, you did you're going to help you're going to help me fill a blind spot as we um, we get some water and uh, head it. into it's, it's getting a little uh, hot it's, it's a little, little little warm little you know I don't, I don't feel I feel kind of gross uh, stay tuned.
we're back. <laughs> that, that was that was pretty intense. Anyway, welcome back to Two Dudes One Double Feature. In our last segment, we talked about the good, the bad, and the ugly, or as I like to call it, the Richard Joe, the Brian from Idaho, and especially Brian from Idaho. I got you. <laughs> Stop staring at me. I was kidding. You're beautiful. <laughs> the hair uh, flowing in the wind but um, now we're gonna jump to the future to one of um, the many films in, in our in our life that have been influenced by this trilogy or this particular film and this one is from Gore Verbinski in his only animated effort the 2011 best animated feature Rango you got uh, I'm waiting. To, to I, I'm, just, I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna, <laughs> I'm just gonna chill. I'm just gonna just see what you got. I'm gonna do the tough guy. Like I'm gonna do the Clint Eastwood of this. Like yo, let's see what you got. <laughs> <laughs> what do you got? Can you can you can you can you lay it down? There's there's two kinds of men in this world: those who get scared and those who scare. And it doesn't look like you're doing that. <laughs> you know, you know, yeah. Richard. I couldn't help but no- <laughs> notice you, noticing me, noticing you. <laughs> or I also uh, this. I, I'm looking at some of the lines. And I'm just remembering some of them. Is this heaven? If it were, we'd be eating pop tarts with Kim Novak. <laughs> <laughs> and just Timothy Oliphant's delivery in the Clint Eastwood impression. <laughs> but Rango, I had never seen this movie before. So what was it was surprising to me because A, it's Western. B, it's Gore Verbinski. C, you owned the Blu-ray. <laughs> It was sealed until we did this episode. <laughs> when did you, when did you buy it? I'm curious. It must have been three, at least three years. Oh, okay. Ago. Oh, okay. Whew. I was gonna say if you bought it when it came out and it's been wrapped this whole time, I would ha- we would have no, some conversation. No, because no, because it was a best. It was a Best Buy. I bought it at Best Buy, and I've been using Best Buy more frequently like last couple mm-hmm. of years. So I think it was probably maybe about three three or so year, years ago. Um. Yeah, Rango, but it it was really it, again. It was just really surprising to hear that you hadn't gotten around to see this. But because of that, I want to start this off by asking you what you thought of the. Because I mean, I know, I know, but these guys don't obviously. But I want to know like extensively how you felt about this movie. I enjoyed it, and I wish, I, I hope that Gore Verbinski gets to make another animated movie at some point. And he's. Uh, it's kind of funny to think that this came out, and then he was like, "Oh, I'm going to do another western." Mm-hmm. I thought we were. Gonna, I thought we were going to talk about that, but let's, let's, <laughs> it, uh, it happens. Let's, it's let's a move thing. On. We're just just move it away. <laughs> Scooch. Just, just uh, push that out of the way. No, but th- this is this is a, a a good this is a good movie. I just had never I had never seen it. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of those things. 
where I, I just, I just, and people were like, oh, you didn't see Rango? I know you like Westerns, Joe. I'm like, I just didn't see it. It's just, it just, it just eluded you. You just didn't have the urge to see it. But again, that's why we do the show. This is exactly this. The show helps. The show helps with that. And that's why I didn't, I, I still didn't watch it until this episode because I knew at some point we were going to talk about this movie because we're both, I know, I know because we talk about Pirates of the Caribbean sometimes. Even our first mm-hmm. episode mentions Curse of the Black Pearl. We do, we do like, even if some of the movies aren't perfect, we do like the directing style of Gore Verbinski quite a bit. I actually honestly. went on sort of a binge not that long ago of like all of his movies, just to like just just get a better idea of of his of his directing style and his themes and stuff. Like one of the first movies he ever broke out with was The Ring, which I had no clue he directed that. Which is the weirdest thing to think, like the super popular horror movie that started this like small sort of living trend in like the early two thousands before like the takeover of torture porn movies, where it was this like let's just it was kind of like like a coinciding with kind of thing actually, but it was essentially like let's just do a bunch of remakes of Japanese horror films like with this The Grudge you know, and so it was just kind of wild to see that you know he kind of. Like, similar to James Wan, how he did the first Saw movie and sort of kicked up a whole thing with that, and then would go on to make, like, Furious 7, and then obviously Aquaman, and then Gore Verbinski's over here making The Ring, and the next thing you know, he's making, like, three of the biggest, you know, blockbuster movies of its era, and, you know, having this huge relationship with Disney that, you know, as we mentioned, didn't end... I mean, it, you know, it, it. What happened happened. You know, they made what they made. It is what it is. We move on from it. <laughs> Quit staring at me. <laughs> oh man, that was that was an experience. But talking about this movie, this movie Rango, um, it's good, and it it. it if there's anything you've learned from joey in this segment so far it's that he thinks it's a good movie and there's that yeah i don't um, i mean there there are definitely a lot of things that i want to i want to get into talking about it but i also i i I did like that that rango is sort of a man with no name of sorts it's it's kind of a almost not necessarily a satire or a parody but it's like kind of kind of in that ballpark in that our main character rango is a chameleon and uh, he's like a pet for this family who looks like they're like, from the brief moment we see the family, they look like they're um, going to like move to somewhere in Nevada. And um, through an unfortunate situation, um, he, uh, Rango, gets thrown out of the car. His um, case gets shattered and he's stuck in the road with uh, his family completely gone. And before this even happens, he has a clear identity crisis because he doesn't really know who he is. He, he he clearly has a bit of an acting bug, and so he likes that's something that he's kind of into. But it's 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 it feels sort of like a like a maybe like a like a psychological thing in that he likes it because he doesn't really know who he is personally. It's like a coping mechanism. Yeah, when he finally meets other animals. Like, he meets this uh, spiritual, like, armadillo voiced by Alfred Molina, who's, tries, who's he's just trying to get to the other side of the road, man. That's all he wants to do. Just get to the other side. And um, eventually he meets Beans, played by Isla Fisher. And um, this leads him to the town of Dirt, which is 
sort of a, a like imagine someone took a bunch of trash and garbage and jugs and turned it into a western town and that's dirt mm. and when he gets there it's it's a hundred percent a leone spaghetti western you know you got all these interesting looking people all these different like animals the like desert creatures who've been deformed or have lost like there's a bunny um who lost an ear that's the doctor in the town <laughs> there's um there's like a soldier it looks kind of like maybe like a uh, confederate soldier like a yankee or whatever that has an arrow through his head but is still alive <laughs> right. <laughs> and like he's asked about it and he goes oh this oh that's conjunctivitis <laughs> it's hereditary <laughs> <laughs> that's one of my favorite lines and when he yeah, and when rango's cool. there he's again trying to adapt to you know his environment as a chameleon would do and in the situation he finds the the opportunity to sort of build this new persona for himself so he makes up this name of rango and proceeds to like pass himself off as this like super impressive hardcore outlaw of the west gunslinger kind of kind of character who killed an entire like seven group member of like brothers or, that's a gang with one bullet and he proceeds to tell this incredibly elaborate story of how it happened and so then this lie just digs him further and further and further into this narrative um, while at the same time sort of revealing some of the corrupt underpinnings of what's happening in this town, specifically it's lack of water. I mean, and I also think about too, like the, his sort of manipulation, his, his, his fakery of his story a lot makes me think of good, the bad and the ugly because you have people changing uniforms. You have, you know, uh, you know, Tuco wearing a Confederate uniform at one point leave, um, Angel Eyes is wearing wearing a, a Yankee uniform and you know run, running one of the camps, and there's all there all there's all and actually it makes me think of that too because it's like he puts himself in a pretty nice position at the at that Yankee camp and then it's like oh Rango is like is like the sheriff now okay it's just like he he's able to like impress through lies and 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 really. Deception, lies and deception, and uh, like a pure accident, basically. <laughs> um, and he gets himself in this position where he becomes the sheriff of the town, and uh, and again that puts him in a really sticky situation that sort of works out for him, but kind of doesn't at times. It's 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 he's got a really interesting sort of journey. He do, he does have he has a journey. <laughs> Of, of some of some this variety in this, this movie. Is very true. Like like, and I, that's the one thing I'll say because this is an animated. It's an animated movie. Nickelodeon was involved in this production, mm. right? It was the. It was like so on production or something. Yeah. Yeah. So on on some level, you have to have a character thing happen, <laughs> like a character arc of some level, because there's no way you can market that to kids. Like just hey, just weird Gore Verbinski stuff. And, and, but it's it's also sort of funny in that like. There's a lot of elements of this movie that make you go, "Is this, is this for kids?" It makes you question. <laughs> like, is yeah. this really? I, I I think about like, that. Like Rattlesnake Jake, who's one of the best characters that shows up briefly at the end of the movie, voiced by Davy Jones himself, Bill Nye, and it's like when he shows up, that's when you really start going, "Is this movie for children, <laughs> or am I just am I just you know?" 
what is happening? <laughs> Actually, his, that, that that dynamic between him and like the um and the the Otisburg tortoise <laughs> um sort sort of in in, in 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 not in the exact way made me th- made me think of Once Upon a Time in the West, where Henry Fonda is just like if you if you Angel Eyes was bad like like. Henry Fonda's character in Once Upon a Time in the West, Once Upon a Time in the West is such a bastard in that movie, um, and he he works for this one dude who who you know has a lot of physical ailments and what and whatnot, and Henry Fonda is just like just looking like a snake, like yeah, I know I'm gonna, I'm gonna do at some point. It's just a matter of time before it happens. It's 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 a it's it's a when, not an if. It's a when, not an if, and I think I think about that rattlesnake Jay, who's is like this giant, you know, snake. He's, he's literally this um. giant like rattlesnake <laughs> as his name, you know. But what one thing I love about his design is that instead of a rattle, it's a bunch of like like revolver cylinders or whatever those like tourniquet thing, like turn. What do you call those things? I don't know. He's got. It's like a machine. It's almost like it's, a machine. It's like a, <laughs> it feels it's like, like a machine gun, like a on, his tail. Like Gatling gun on his tail. on his tail. That he actually uses like a yeah, Gatling gun at one point in this really epic shot, by the way. Like there, there's there's a lot of elements of this that make you question whether, because especially because this is like in that genre of like anthropomorphic animal, like you know, like you think of like Zootopia, or you think of like um, uh, any of these other types of movies, like especially Disney, who's made a lot of movies where animals are dressed up as humans and like talk and whatnot, and how adorable and cute they are. That, that's that's not the case with this one like the, there's no no nah, none of that no one no one's inherent like there's maybe like one cute character but no one's really cute in this movie at all that that is one of my favorite elements of this movie is that everybody everybody looks weird <laughs> like no nobody nobody looks like like even our main character is just like it's Johnny Depp, so he plays a weirdo. Yeah. But I mean, he's a lopsided chameleon with like a crooked neck. Uh, I think about Beans whenever she has, she just like, <laughs> has her she moments. freezes. Oh, uh, which I okay. There are some moments when that happens where it it could be like from a modern perspective might seem a bit because like there's that bit when like Rango like starts cuddling her, and then she like unfreezes, and you're like, and she's like, "What are you? Do? You're cuddling me. What are you? What's going on?" Oh yeah. So like it's oh, that's that's yeah. I wouldn't say it's on the level, but it's it's as close it's 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 fairly close to I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna kiss you. <laughs> you don't have to kiss me back if you don't want. Oh but man. but no, like whenever that happens, like her eyes bug out and she like completely stiffens. You know. Um, but no, like every character in this, like I was talking about, like there's, um, there's, you know, Rattlesnake Jake has his cool designs. There's that one dude, there's that like bird or whatever that has a, an arrow in his head. Um, there's, um, the, uh, the really cool, um, oh, crap. Even the hawk, like, like there's a hawk that's sort of like an antagonist because like from like a from like a evolutionary chain predatory standpoint there's like an antagonist hawk but he looks cool because he has like this like metal beak that looks like something out of the west yeah. and so like and even and even his like talons sort of have that feel like it's just a really really cool like 
designs of characters and even just the whole world because again the whole world is just a bunch of junk like formed into a town like like there's a there's there's an outhouse that's made from a pepto-bismol bottle I, <laughs> the design of the town was I really mean, cool. it's it's kind of funny and then um they drink cactus juice it's like can i have some water we got cactus juice <laughs> I still, I still love the, that bit when, like, the fly, like, there's, like, a puddle of cactus juice and the fly eat, drinks it, and then it dies and its eyeball pops out with, like, the little, with, with like, the little, like, retina cord or whatever. You're like, oh, God. Oh, uh, yeah, it, it is a weird, <laughs> like, it, it, again, and, and, I, and I think about some of that stuff, and I, and I think about, like, Pirates of the Caribbean, especially, like, Dead Man's, Dead Man's Chest, where you have, like, some of those, w- the weird moments, or even the first one, first Pirates 2, where you have those, like, weird, like, moments like with like the physicality and like the logistics like i think about the the one like hermit crab uh dude yes from, from oh my god movies. he's trying to get the dead man's chest that's such a crazy that's such a crazy design <laughs> it's just him trying to get his head back and he just turns into a crab to like catch up with like, his body wait up i'm coming oh it's it's uh i i love that scene that's such a great scene i you know what and also just think about good the bad and the ugly like references like with like the one when the one guy get gets picked up, uh, picked up by the hawk, and he goes, "You son of a!" Ba-! And the hawk screeches. That's a direct, that's a nice callback to the end of um, Good, the Bad, the Ugly, where like, uh, where, where Tuco's like, "You're just a no good, dirty son of a!" Ah! <laughs> I also just love like some of like the improvised lines in that bit when he's like, <laughs> when he gets initially mad at Rango for like, for like dropping out of him, he's like. You! I'll kill you! <laughs> you stupid lizard! I'm gonna strangle your wevels! <laughs> or, 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 like, or like the bottle's getting away and he wants to get in the bottle with Rango so the hawk doesn't get him. He's like, I'll let you kiss my sister! <laughs> oh my god. That's one thing I love too about this movie. It's just like, it's just so funny. Like... On such a level, like, it's just so, it's so, there's so many great lines. Like, I love the line, like, like I love, um, like, how they sort of play with, like, the, the stereotype of, like, the Indian, like, tracker character that's in, like, westerns. And so we see, like, this crow, this raven or whatever, playing that sort of part. And every time he's doing something because Rango only knows western stereotypes, he thinks that's what's happening. And so, like, he goes up to the, he goes up to the, to the raven character and he's like, you know, are you going to use some tracking things? Or what are you going to do? And he just, like, how are we going to find them? And he just points to a hole that's behind him. Like, start there. <laughs> or, like, like, he's, like, or he's, like, ripping his feathers off. And he's like, are you are you contacting spirits? And he's like, no, I'm molting. <laughs> that means I'm ready to mate. <laughs> <laughs> or, like, like, he's like, I picked up a trail. I smell someone with... An enlarged prostate. <laughs> and then you just hear like all the characters going, someone's got a bad valve. And then the doctor's like, all right, who here needs a checkup? <laughs> he puts the glove on with his finger out. It's, oh my God. My God. Or, um, I think one of my favorite moments, uh, is just like a silly moment where, where there's like a big chase scene and Rango's in a dress <laughs> and then he lands on one of the guys. And it's like, you know, all together, it wasn't so bad. <laughs> Spoons. That was the character. I love spoons. <laughs> spoons. spoons. Uh, I think that was one thing. I just didn't remember any of the characters' names other than <laughs> like Rattlesnake Jake, Rango, and I remember Beans. <laughs> and I remember I remember there was a guy named Fluffy Jeff. 
<laughs> well, like, well, like, 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 it was, it was the guy that runs the bank. His name was Mister Merrimack, and and Rango like just randomly goes, or as we like to call him, Fluffy Joe. <laughs> it's a great, it's a great moment. And there's some like really just silly lines. Um, like we can control it, like a monkey's bladder. <laughs> or, or like. Or I love when Spoons goes, I found a human spinal cord in my fecal matter once. <laughs> it sounds like something that you should probably check on. <laughs> if there's one reason to watch this movie, it's just all the ridiculous dialogue and all. And I think one one what, one reason that that was able to, to come about, because a lot of those lines, again, you have to feel like, you know, and to some degree might have been improvised, which you can't really, you can sort of do in animation but not nearly as well as if you're just performing but one of the luxuries of this movie is that to to get the performances they actually performed the movie so like like there was no sound booth there was no like every all the actors were together all the actors were acting together reading together improvising together like you would do for a normal film they were even they were even wearing their costumes when the uh, opportunity came about to do that, like whenever Rango was wearing like his first like s- like cowboy outfit with like the big black hat with the little like red balls coming off of it and like the big old like mm-hmm. pants or whatever, um, like Johnny Depp actually wore that, and so like they would go into like a small space and they would perform the entire movie or like scene by scene together, and then they would record the audio separately with like boom mics and stuff. And then that's pretty, that's pretty wild. Do they, I mean, and that's definitely not a common thing. Do you, was there, an, is there another thing, movie that ever did something I like that? No, I, I, I don't feel like it is. I, Cause I always hear about like, with like famous, like Disney movies, like I think about, you know, Peter Pan or sleeping beauty where they have like visual references. Mm-hmm. They have people dressed in costume, like acting out those scenes and like, like the rotoscoping like, stuff. Take notes. Well. Out, like almost, Almost rotoscope in those instances, but almost like just, just to see. Okay, this is how how the cloak would move and how how the per, how a person would actually move. Um, but that I think that's a really interesting way to do it, and especially given that I imagine a number of these people are not like commonly like voice actors. So having them act act in a space like because that's a common thing. Like people always, ha- I know a lot of people just hate it when celebrities are like voices in animated movies because mm-hmm. you can tell. That there's celebrities right. doing an animated voice. And it just in that regard as well, just like how like typical that became after one spe- one particular point when like so many animated movies just started casting, you know, celebrities in the movies versus voice actors. And and where that I think that's also sort of part of that mentality of just like, you know, having like it's always more impressive when you get an actor like a famous actor who actually commits to the bit. So like, you know, like like with like with this like you know, I like obviously it's Johnny Depp, but at the very least like he's he doesn't like he doesn't outright sound like Johnny Depp. You know what I mean? Except for like a few moments. No, yeah. Actually, I was thinking about him. He almost he sounds like 90s Johnny Depp in a lot of scenes in this. He really does. Which is kind of wild. He doesn't like which because like Rango's a weird character, but what makes him stranger that he doesn't sound like the typical weird Johnny Depp character we're used. Like it doesn't sound like Tonto or or Jack Sparrow who's like oh, he has like a almost like a higher like register to him like, a little bit. It's almost like a very like weak Kermit the Frog. 
Like he almost talked like maybe not like as like kind sounding like Victor, you were wooden. There, I said it. <laughs> Doctor <laughs> Mr. Tim's You were good. But but no, like to answer to answer your previous question, I don't I'm pretty sure because that was such a big thing about the making of this movie. Outside of the fact this is the only movie to my knowledge that has been an entire animated movie done by ILM. Which is already wild. Right. But um I don't think I can't think of any other movie that's gone through that specific process and never went into like a booth with like a solo person. Maybe in like pickups, but ultimately I imagine it was mostly just the performances they were giving. You know what I mean? Like I said, like speaking of ILM, like this is a company, Industrial Light and Magic, mostly known for, you know, obviously collaborations with Lucasfilm and other companies and other directors um and like bringing big explosive special effects to blockbuster movies but this was kind of a first for them i mean not to say they've never it's not like they've never animated anything because obviously that's kind of the the gist of what they do but to do an entire movie like that right that was like did well did they do they didn't do lion king did they did they do lion king did they do the stuff the the effects work in lion king you mean um that's a good question. I mean, because I I know with like Beauty and the Beast, when like a, a a digital effect comes up in Beauty and the Beast, they they credit like the Pixar people because okay. they had like because it's weird to think about Pixar pre Toy Story, but it was a thing, right? And I'm I'm pretty sure that if I had to guess, it was might have been a Pixar. It might it might have done like Pixar stuff okay. on um any of the digital stuff on that movie. If I had to guess on the remake, no, I'm I'm talking about like on the the original. Well, I was one. That, I was asking about the remake on Lion King. Did ILM do that? Because um, I know it's John Favreau, and I know John Favreau works with them a lot. Let me. Sorry. Yeah. Let me. Let me check on that real quick. Please hold while two dudes, one double feature, looks up information that we need for this particular part of the episode. In the meantime, go to the concession stand, get some free popcorn. That's right. We are giving away full tubs of popcorn this time, and not paying twelve fifty. Um, Welcome back. Okay. Okay, so uh, the moving picture company uh, was the lead vendor on Jungle Book. I guess they did a lot of this effects work on Jungle Book. Okay. Provided the visual effects on, on the Lion King remake to answer your question. Okay. But, again, there might have been a lot of other studios also contributing to that as well. Because these movies, they take a lot of man, you know, right. the people yeah. power and a lot of resources so like when you watch those avengers movies there's probably a cu- a number of different effects houses that are working that i mm-hmm. know with jungle book um because this mentions jungle book that jungle book also had weta weta did like all like the ape stuff right that was in it but then there was another co- effects company did a lot of the other creature elements in jungle book so it could have been a number it was like probably that's a, a number a good point. of different things um yeah, again this is just after googling and using control find <laughs> you know looking on a page so this is not the definitive source <laughs> is what i want to say i mean you know it's it's a solid source it's just not definitive um i wouldn't use this on a, <laughs> don't use this on a paper please please no though if you want to source us for any paper i mean that would be kind of cool just be like joey someone but like please don't we're not experts for anything no. <laughs> anyway, uh, but no, like, either way, it's like it's still, like, pretty wild to think that this company known for their visual effects, you know, magic and magistry, and, you know, they've been doing it for generations, almost, it feels like, 
um, decades, honestly, though. And to see this as, like, the first, like, fully animated movie, it's pretty wild. And, like, the attention to detail is obviously staggeringly good. And the way that they bring a lot of these, like, character designs, these, like, again, quote-unquote, ugly characters, um, which are, again, ultimately just really great character designs to life is pretty amazing, honestly. And it, it kind of makes yep. me sad this is the only time they've done it. No, because I actually have to say, for, like, a movie from 2011... This holds up remarkably well. Really? Oh my god, it holds up really well. It's 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 wild. Even the water effects, which water plays a very important role in this movie, as it does in every and I'm saying this right now, every Gore Verbinski movie, even if it's like a like a small thing or an aesthetic thing, it's there. It's like the ring. What's the whole shtick of that little girl? She came out of a well and she's dripping wet. And anytime you see her, she's probably in a pool of water. Pirates of the Caribbean, the whole trilogy is about a bunch of seafaring, you know, gangsters, essentially, you know, in nautical legends like Davy Jones and whatnot. There's a lot of water involved in those movies. You know, Cure for Wellness, it's about evil water. <laughs> and, th- and with this movie, um, it's very much about a town devoid of water. You know, how much they want... Like, water is essentially the gold of this movie. Like, you know, this whole town... Like, dirt is an apt turn for the town because it's incredibly dried up. And the the water is being, like, withheld from the people. And it's, it's ruining everybody's lives. It's just... Water is so valuable. And it's just... It's kind of funny, like... Especially when I was watching all of Gore Verbinski's movies. Just how often... He uses water, like, like, they always, like, isn't the, like, the running joke, like, never work with animals, water, or kids, or something? Yeah, I mean, we talked about that in, in 20,000 Leagues, like, mm. R- Richard Flesher said, like, the water is out to get you. <laughs> and it's like, Gore Rubinsky's going, is it? Oh, give him my number. <laughs> <laughs> Gore Verbinski uh, has a, has a thing. Definitely has a thing for for water. You know, which it, it is just kind of wild. It probably explains why that other Disney movie he made didn't pan out so well. So didn't really focus on water, did it? As far as I could remember, no. No. The Disney 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 pushed him away from his one true love of water. <laughs> Bob Iger, how could you? How could you? Do you, the the man loves water. Just let him have it. Anyway, I have there's a lot of it. There's a lot of it in Disney World. It rains all the time in Florida. There's a lot of bodies of water in Disney World. There's a lot of hurricanes, man. Come on, <laughs> let him have it. Like Gore Verbinski came in, comes into Bob Iger's office complaining, "Here I am, rock you like a hurricane." Dun, 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 dun. It's like it's like Jerry Bruckheimer behind him. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> it's like it's, <laughs> it's like it's, it's like guitar man just just behind him just playing it oh my god but um but this this was a this was a, a lot of fun and it's again we talk about like animated movies sometimes because a lot of animated movies are geared towards children mm-hmm. and i know this was this has it has this, this had a video game tie-in i remember yeah. there's all sorts of it's stuff but a like, lot of media th- aimed like a lot of media tech yeah but like it doesn't feel like a kids movie. No. Which I did I did kind of like. It's 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 definitely one of those animated movies that doesn't force itself maybe to one particular it to like one particular um 
demographic. Like, though, you would probably argue because it's a bunch of talking animals that maybe it would be a kids movie, but it's really not. And no, the only the only thing that maybe makes it stand out a little bit is that it's a Gore Verbinski movie, and so whether or not you like it like him or his work will depend on how you feel about this one because it is also a very weird movie in the best possible way <laughs> in a lot of ways too like you could argue you could argue that it is a uh, a new addition to the to the dollars trilogy as an epilogue of sorts because the man with no name does show up in this movie <laughs> yes yes, <laughs> yes yeah this is true Confirmed. I mean, the, 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 there, there is that, and it's, it's basically this scene where, uh, <laughs> um, they sort of build up in the movie the spirit of the West, and he he has this alabaster carriage with golden guardians protecting him, and you don't think much of it, but then when you find like you think of it because they mention it, but then when you finally see it, it's like a white golf cart <laughs> and some like. Like off-brand Oscars in the back seat, <laughs> and then out in the distance is old old man man with no name with his same outfit on as he's worn all the other movies. <laughs> this time he's got a giant metal detector, and he's voiced by Timothy Oliphant as like you know as again as that character the man with no name. We're gonna have pop tarts with Kim Novak. <laughs> <laughs> And it's it's just a really, like, again, watching it now after seeing Good and the Bad and the Ugly, I feel like I, I appreciate it more. And that was my first thought. I was like, wait, does that mean Rango's an official, like, like, <laughs> like connected, like, spinoff of the Man with the Bay movies? Listen, listen, again, like, I also have to sp- emphasize this, too. Like, the the Dollars trilogy is a loose <laughs> trilogy. So, so in a way, it, you could count it. In a way, you can. But in also in another way... You don't have to count, but it. I'm going to because it's fun. <laughs> Fine, that, that I I will let you I will let you live out your spider web castle dreams with your your spirit of the west and uh, you know and and all that. But I also I do like what the spirit of the west says is like you can't run away from your own story. Yeah, you know you can't run out in your own story. This is true. I just just a couple notable people in the cast: Harry Dean Stanton. Harry Dean Stanton. He plays um the blind quote unquote. Prospector, <laughs> yeah, like the like the father character of the like, because like there's like this whole group of like I guess sort of like hillbilly like like ground like like groundhog type characters that try to rob the bank uh, to steal the water, and it has one of the one of my favorite like action sequences of the whole movie, which is so freaking good when um. They like try it when they're trying to like take the water back, and so they have the giant water jug on the back of like a like a carriage or something, and they're racing through this canyon to get away from like the like the hillbilly family, and they're being chased, and the hillbilly family is chasing them while riding bats. So so it's a bunch of bats, and they're like they all have Gatling guns. Like this is a weird movie, but it's so fun. And so, like they all, they're all riding on bats and they're like, shooting Gatling guns, and they're playing flight like uh, Flight of the Valkyries, like d- but they're playing it on banjos. Bong, bada, bong, 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 bada, bong, bong. <laughs> whole scene, whole scene feels like a Mad Max like moment. 
it really it really does but uh, it's so fun and on that note i mean i gotta i gotta give a massive shout out to han zimmer like again the guy gets sort of like put on superhero movies all the time but a, a lot of his scores outside of that genre like is amazing and the score he did for this movie um in a lot of ways, like it's very much his, but it does evoke Ennio Morricone in some, in some to some degree. He even has like Rango even has his own theme, which I really like. It's like da 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 Like I just I love that whole like theme that he did for that movie. And also similar to, I also got to bring this up. Also similar to. Uh, the How to Drain Dragon movies, Roger Deakins was a um, visual like uh, component of this movie as well. Yeah, and you could definitely, you definitely feel the Deakinism. You, you feel them Deakins zins, for sure. <laughs> but, but yeah, like Harry Dean Stanton, um, who, who else did you want to name? Ray Winstone is, is in this. <laughs> Ray Winstone as one of the like mayor's goons. Is, is the Gila monster or whatever? <laughs> he looks so goofy. <laughs> I just I love his line like, "You do that again, I'm gonna take your beak and I'm gonna use it to wipe my unmentionables." <laughs> <laughs> or or he's like, "I'm gonna take that." Or he's like, "I'm gonna take that mug, watch, use it to wash my unmentionables." And someone goes, "Watch the beak." <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I should I should note that um, uh, Ian Aber- Abercrombie. Ian Abercrombie's in this. Um, final is uh, final film appearance according to this before his death. Mm-hmm. Um, he also, I believe, played uh, Chancellor Palpatine in Clone Wars. Yes, in like the earlier. Yes, he did in the er- in the earlier seasons. Um, you know, oh, just the mariachi owls. Like <laughs> they, the mariachi owls narrate the whole movie. But the best part is that Rango's aware of them. Rango's aware of them. They're also they're focused on like death and huevos. <laughs> they keep saying. But the lizard, he's going to die. <laughs> and then, like, a th- just as a spoiler, obviously, but like at the end of the movie, he doesn't die. But they're like, and he- make no mistake, he is going to die. But maybe from like a household accident. <laughs> <laughs> that, that 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 those guys were hysterical. They're one of my favorite parts of the of the movie. Anytime they showed up. I feel like I feel like anytime I show you a movie now, like the best characters for you is always like the like the the band that like in Paddington, the band that shows up periodically. I that, love the band in Paddington. They're, yeah. they're so good. They're so good. And as I say, so as I say that, I just got a notification that a YouTube video about Paddington Two just uploaded. So I have something to do later. The mariachi owls are great. I love. Um, I love. Uh, what the heck's his name? Oh, the, what's the name of the guy that voiced Slinky Dog after um, after Jim Varney passed in the third one? Shoot. Something Blake, C- Clark, Carl Blake, Clark Blake, maybe Blake Clark. Yes, I, I I always I always like hearing his. I think his voice was perfect for like the frog character, like the bartender frog. Like I, Yo, I, like, yeah, yeah. I always loved um, us us Eliz- <laughs> us reptiles got to stick together. I'm amphibian. Ain't no shame in that. <laughs> that. That's a great. That's a great line. But there, there are some lines in this where it makes me think. Again, I, I keep emphasizing like 
early Johnny Depp, I think about like Ed Wood when I see this. Oh, there's no shame in that. I, I feel like it's something he would like say. <laughs> it's a good point. Like, directing. That's a really good point. Yeah. Like, so I just I just kept thinking like this is just Ed Wood as like a weird chameleon. Just like Rango comes out like he. But I mean, Rango does wear a dress at one point. This is true. So, I, mean, I mean, but there's no zero out of ten. No Angoro sweaters. No Angoro sweaters. He could have done better. But, um, I mean, you do get one other reference to a Johnny Depp movie when, when Raul Duke from, uh, from Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas does randomly show up in the movie, which yeah, this is makes true. sense because, you know, it's obviously connected to, you know, because the, the whole movie takes place outside of Las Vegas in, in the Nevada desert. The, the, isn't the Mojave Desert what they said? <sighs> I believe that's what they said. Mojave Desert. Yes. Yeah. So, um... And then Ned Beatty. It's it's kind of funny to think like of Ned Beatty as like all these like major movie villains, like like lots of hug and bear, the turtle, like the mayor turtle character from this. And then like to go back to Superman, <laughs> Otisburg. <laughs> Otisburg. See, see, this town should not have been called dirt. It should have been called Otisburg. <laughs> I don't care about copyright. Just call it Otisburg. I mean, make a I stupid mean, if, spelling of it to avoid. If it. Taika Waititi can get you know pure imagination. To play in a Marvel movie, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I, I mean, Paramount. Paramount might not have that clout anymore. <laughs> no, Par- I mean Paramount, especially with Warner Brothers. After they went, nah, we're gonna keep, we're gonna have them keep the mustache. Yeah. <laughs> like, excuse me. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's just he's in this movie. What do you mean? Just just shave it once. He can grow it back, and you could. Nah. <laughs> but both of these both of these movies. Are very di- I, I think even though this one is does have like some homages and you know m- tributes to spaghetti westerns, I think they're both very different takes and very different you know spoofs in in some ways of the western. You know, it's weird to think of Good, the Bad, and the Ugly as like a spoof, but it's sort of in a lot of ways sort of the commentary on that like on those western tropes and all that. But both of these, I love just the aesthetics of them. Like the th- nothing is nothing is pretty except for like the inherent beauty in the way something is framed and the way something is shot. Other than that, it's like all the characters look like they've been through the ringer. (laughs) Everyone's been like beaten up or their ear chopped off or has an arrow in their eye, you know, just normal Tuesdays. Yeah. (laughs) Just, just, uh, just a normal Tuesdays. They both, they both got some really good, really good performances on both ends of it in animation and live action. Um, it's good scores. I mean, I think they're both all around, all around good movies. One of them being a classic, and then one of them being a really good movie that you should probably check out. And I mean, and again, like you were saying, uh, you know, both of these movies sort of play on like the traditional Western tropes, like like Good and the Bad, and the Ugly. I imagine again, not having much experience on westerns in general, but like I imagine it does play on those typical tropes, like we were talking about. You know, the more clean cut you know, versus something that's a little bit more dirty, more gritty, and more violent. And then you have something like Rango, which obviously is born from an era of people who grew up with spaghetti westerns and that aesthetic of spaghetti westerns. And it's sort of sort of parodies or plays a spoof on that by having like the the, the guy with no identity literally go, But wait, who am I? <laughs> like, <laughs> hold on. Let's like I am I have no name. But what is my name? <laughs> I don't know. 
what 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 is this what am i <laughs> what is happening and then like just again like just sort of playing on similar to good of bad and ugly like playing on those stereotypes and those tropes from westerns like the like the the native american character who can like navigate or like you know the the super tough gunslinger who's like super scary like rattlesnake jake is like meant to be super scary but obviously as we see later he's he's not entirely bad like he looks vicious and he looks terrifying but you can't say he's entirely evil no you know and so like it's just it's just really cool to see like you know it is to some degree it's it's kind of sad to see like the western sort of like put on the back burner like there hasn't really been like a massive huge popular like relaunch of that of that um genre but to see movies like Rango or even like everything Tarantino's done since 2009 um sort of like sh- like you know make these like I guess you could say love letters to the things of the past Leone or, or not um is pretty cool though so like it, it's like it shows that these things are still important and they still love on even if they're not prominent anymore and uh we both we both were able to to share new experiences and that is always pretty great and that, that's and you um, already had the blu-ray felt- for the one thing i showed you so you didn't have to buy it <laughs> you already just had it so it was good <laughs> more more episodes like this pete please where we don't have to spend any money. <laughs> <laughs> or at least i don't have to spend any yeah money. i mean i do spend money on pretty much every episode so <laughs> <laughs> this is true Anyway, folks, what are some of your favorite westerns? What are your favorite Gore Verbinski movies? What's your favorite Sergio Leone movie? Would you like a drink of water? The good, the bad, and the ugly? Let us know. Would you like some water? Get get stay hydrated, please. Please do. Please. Please do. Uh, that about wraps it up. Uh, check us out next week. Have a good night, everyone. Listen up, partner. I appreciate what you've done listening to them boys on Two Dudes, One Double Feature. But you best be following them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And I especially better be hearing you praise John and Kenny Armstrong and their musical stylings. If none of that took place, well, I'm sorry to say, you, me, six shooters, high noon, will settle this like real gunslingers. And if you make it out alive, you best be following the dudes on their next ride. Those hardcore Hellraisers will mosey on over to Japan for a little kaiju action. But don't worry about them, no sir. They can handle it. See you then, partner. <laughs>